Hello, 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 everyone. This is Hannah Cavanaugh speaking, and welcome to another episode of Tea for Three. I'm here with two really awesome people. They're both seniors, so they're about to graduate or graduating fairly soon, which is pretty lit. So anyway, um, the first guest that I have here today, she likes to call herself Lily Devourer of Tea. Um, Lily Morden. What's up, Lily? How are you doing today? Um, I'm good. That's the first time that that name has ever been used. Um, How does it feel? <laughs> it's interesting. It's okay, interesting. cool. It's a very right. fitting title. Yes. <laughs> And now we have this man with this amazing, sexy voice made for radio over here. Please welcome Matthew Carbonell. What's up, Matt? How you doing today? Hey. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for having me on the show. No, yeah, thanks for thanks for coming. So <laughs> thanks all the for viewers listening. Voice. Yeah. Okay, so ready to sip some tea? Yeah. All right, cool. So the tea that we're going to be trying today is actually Parisian. Um, I'd love to. I'd love to give an amazing shout out to the Sandysons, Fiona, Willie, Cal, Mia. Thank you so much for this awesome tea. And Paris was a fun time. So okay. So the tea that oh, we're going to be trying. Yeah. You said Parisian. It is. It is Parisian. Tea. It's Parisian tea. It's from Paris. Oh my god. Yeah. I just change it a little. <laughs> no, no. Okay. I thought she said. Parisian. And I was like, where's Parisia? Parisian. <laughs> Paris, France. <laughs> I hate myself. The viewers will soon hate me. Don't, don't hate yourself. Okay, so this brand of tea, it's from Cuse Me Tea. Um, and they, it's, yeah, they also known as the Imperial Label. And it's, it's the Cuse Me Cube flavored. It's a flavored blend of green tea, orange, cinnamon, and spices. So it actually, the ingredients are in French. So I'm just going to try and decipher the kind of spices that they have. So I'm guessing cardamom, gingembre, ginger. Um, and then it just says, I guess, aromas and anise. So, yeah. Anus? Oh, Matt, shut the hell up. <laughs> anise, star anise. As the French say. No. Anise. Oh, my God. <laughs> Anyway, anus jokes aside, ready to try this bad boy? Yeah. Okay, cool. Wow. It's this uh, hey. beautiful yellow color. No, it's gorgeous. And don't, please don't make any other. Okay, you weren't. Great. You're looking at me because you knew I was. I was. <laughs> Dag nabbit, of course you were. Why would I expect anything else? Okay. This so it's going to be a mess with him. <laughs> <laughs> be a lot of stuff to edit out or a lot yeah. of stuff to keep in, depending on how you feel, if you want this out there. So ready to try this? I'm excited. All right, cool. Okay, cool. So I like to kind of blow on it because I have a very sensitive tongue and I tend to scald it. So let's just see. So it's still kind of hot. Um. Yeah. <laughs> I'm letting you guys try it first. <laughs> it's like borderline. It didn't scald for me. Hold on. Tastes like summer. Does it, what? <laughs> it tastes like summer. Like it's warm. It's like, you know, it has that. It has that orangey like zest to it. Like. Oh, interesting. I don't know. It's it's cute. It it makes it it's wholesome. It makes it reminds me of summer. Okay. I feel like I can pick out like the cinnamon and there's like an aftertaste of I guess that would be orange, but it's interesting. It just it tastes like spices. <sighs> summer. <laughs> <laughs> No, it reminds me of like the zestiness of summer. I don't know. 
I can see it. And with the color, like, you know. I can see it, yeah. I yeah. see more, I taste more Christmas, but I can see summer. <laughs> but I, I taste actually Christmas and anything. Fall. So, yes, it tastes like Halloween. <laughs> so, it tastes like all four seasons. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> it's green. It is a seasonal. Yeah, tea. no, it's, no, this is actually, this was really beautiful. Well, actually, um, does that reflect, what's everyone's favorite season? Ooh, um, um, season eight, episode three, of Game of Thrones. <laughs> Bruh, actually, that, I didn't really like that episode, but um, yeah. we can talk about it later. There's some um, yeah. Yeah, but I, um, I'd say my favorite season. I like. I really love winter. That's interesting. Okay, I thought that we each tasted just like whatever our favorite season was because that weirdo also likes the cold. Oh, but okay. <laughs> well, it's not weird. It's more like the holiday spirit. It's just really, it's like people are friendly for once. And it's like, wow, people are actually being nice to me. Like, really? Yeah. I love the holiday season. That's why my coworker doesn't like spring. She says people are smiling too much. Wow. <laughs> that's... <laughs> It's very, yeah, uh, it, it's little, telling of her personality. That woman needs mm. pep to her stuff, I swear. <laughs> okay, so overall, if we had to go to Paris, go to a Kuzmi tea shop, talk to some workers, what would we say to them? What would we tell Kuzmi tea today about this Kuzmi cube tea? I mean, I assume they speak French. <laughs> if I can remember my French, je crois. <laughs> um, je crois. Le thé est bon. So the, the I believe good? the tea is good, yeah. Okay. Did I say it right? I really don't know. It sounded right, but I, I tried teaching myself French. It didn't really work out. Um, Same. But the tea is good. <laughs> I got that part, and the I, I didn't know, believe. Yeah. So. Okay. I would just say, uh, j'aime le thé. J'aime le thé. I like the tea. Uh, I like the tea, yeah. Um, oh, actually, j'adore the tea. I love the tea. I love the tea. Yo, there's going to be some, like, <laughs> some, like, um, what do you call them? People who, like, gossip. And he's going to come up to you and be like, let me tell you, sis, in, like, a <laughs> French accent. Let me tell you, sis. I will spill the tea. I will spill the tea. Okay. In English, I would Nancy. say that it's really good. <laughs> Lovely. So now that we sip the tea, we're going to be spilling the deets on creative writing. So we're going to just talk about how we've grown to appreciate different modes of writing over time, how our personal writing styles have evolved, what our creative processes, etc. So I guess the first question that I have for you two today is, how did you get into writing as a medium? Um, I've just, I've always written. Um, I... <laughs> remember writing weird spongebob degrassi or spongebob dora fan fiction Aww, so that's cute just want to preface <laughs> that by saying sounds dangerous <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> my sisters are a lot older than me mm-hmm. so with like a relationship like that so they were stuck watching baby cartoons and i was stuck watching things like years ahead of my time so mm-hmm. <laughs> while i didn't you know always understand all of the nuances i definitely enjoyed the drama enough to want to write about it in the form of dora or spongebob all right nice that's cool it is very cool you never yeah. told me that oh no um, you did you know now <laughs> you never asked god there's like so many memories that i guess i've like called back upon and it's like maybe that's why essentially in like elementary school they used to make us do these reading logs mm-hmm. and i was a sort of like lazy fuck who like didn't want to read i still am i still don't like reading so you love writing but you don't like 
reading other people's writing. Mm, yeah, I, don't, <laughs> I really can't like I can't do that wow, not okay. unless I like force myself to. But I used to read all the nonfiction books because they were like shorter and had pictures for the reading logs. <laughs> Imagine if you went. I would read Doctor Seuss because it was short and it I had did. pictures. Yeah, I did that as well. <laughs> yeah. I read some Doctor Seuss for the reading logs and was like, yeah, I read like twenty six pages of Cat in the Hat in my reading log. It's like there yeah. we go. Or the other one, like, I read a Scholastic magazine. It's just like, but I read all the ads. So, stuff like that. And um, my school actually ran out of nonfiction books that I didn't read. Because they caught on and they were like, okay, if you're going to read nonfiction books, you got to read, like, five of them. And I was like, fuck. Oh, I see. Yeah, so uh, in fifth grade, I picked up my first fiction book, which is um, Aaron Hunter's Warriors Saga. Oh, yeah! Cats. It, with the cats, yeah. yes, finally. Someone else knows that. Thank you. It's like it's I a work of art. What yeah. he was talking about. It's a work of or art. Was, yeah, with the cats. That's right. Aaron Hunter, sponsor me, please. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I read that and I was like, wow, this is really good. And then I also thought, like, I can do this. Nice. So I wanted to be, I want to say I wanted to be like, the idea of being a published writer hmm. was from that moment. But I did like writing like those little childish poetries and little like. Mm-hmm. you know what you did at summer type of things when okay. i was young for school and in the first grade i spelt mountain correct <laughs> that's actually really impressive <laughs> yeah and my teacher was like i would have struggled to spell to spell like train yeah <laughs> yeah I mean, now, like, that's impressive for a six-year-old but my teacher was like that's so strange how you can, how you spell like everything else wrong but you spell mountain <laughs> right, like in my story and i was like well fuck <laughs> thanks <laughs> So I don't know. That's cool. That's cool. I do also agree with the poetry, though. Like, poem poem in your pocket day was always, like, my favorite. Because uh, I definitely got a kick out of writing poetry. I preferred oh, cool. stories. But I did, like, see the appeal of um, particularly, like, rhyming poetry. I enjoyed, like, the challenge of that. Yeah. Um, finding words that rhymed and also made sense. Yeah, true. Oh no, God. poetry is oddly difficult. It I is. do say so. Um, I tried, like, a spoken word workshop. And I was by far the worst writer there. Like it was, everyone was just amazing at spoke because spoken words hard. It's no, so it's difficult really hard. because it's like there's also a certain like there's a meter to it too. Like there needs to be a flow, mm-hmm. and you also have to take yeah. that into account when writing it. Um, it's funny because I'm actually I'm more into plays, like writing scenes and plays and stuff. Mm-hmm. And actually, I garnered a love for that very later on sophomore year of high school actually mm-hmm. well, i went to a performing arts high school for drama my acting teacher said oh like your challenge is to write a scene mm-hmm. and then this i wrote a scene and then that scene became a really long scene and then it just became like a full-on one act that was half an hour long and like it was just it's one of those things like there was kind of something traumatic that happened around that same time mm-hmm. um there's this kid i knew from middle school or like the school yeah from middle school and what happened was that he he went into like a coma and became completely like unable to care for himself. Mm. And he so I had to like visit him with a bunch of people I went to middle school with. And that inspired me with the scene that I was writing in class. So all that coincided around the same time. So that's when inspiration kind of struck because that was my first time dealing with their illness pertaining to someone that was like around the same age as me. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, that's kind of what inspired me, at least with like my writing journey with writing plays and stuff. But I guess what would you say is like your when has inspiration struck for you the most? I guess 
Like, when is that struck for you in terms of anything, like poetry, it's writing stories? Sh- honestly, so random. Okay, I mean, yeah, me too. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I feel like being a creative writing major, sometimes I'm forced to find inspiration, mm-hmm. even when I have none. But when I just, like, let it happen naturally, it's really so random. Like, um, it, it, there might be a line that one of us says today that I'm like, oh, this would make, like, a great poem, or I want someone in a story to say that, or... Um, yeah. Like, I'll be listening to a song and I'm like, huh, I want to write something with a similar message. Or I'll just be sitting there and words will just pop into my head. When things just come to me at random, like not even inspired by something else, that's always Mm -hmm. the hardest because I feel like I'm maybe falling asleep or I've just woken up. And then I have to decide whether I'm going to be lazy and potentially forget about it or like get up and write it down. Yeah, you send me all those texts. Yeah. It's just like, I want to write today, but I also don't want to do anything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's me too. Yeah. So it really, it just, it happens at such random moments. And I realize that sometimes I can kind of force it. So I've read so many um, writing articles that say things like, even if you don't feel like writing, you should write. And then even if you sit down for 10 minutes and write something and you only get one line out of it, that's more than you might have gotten had you you know, decided to do something else for those 10 minutes. Yeah. Um, And so I try to do that as well. And I have found that if I just sit down and start writing or reread something that I've written before, like I can also work as my inspiration. But cool. um, It's a matter of discipline whether or not I do that approach, though. But yeah, so it just it can kind of come from anywhere. Yeah. Inspiration (laughs) to everyone listening. Inspiration is like a drive by shooting. It is quick. Whoa! It is unexpected. What the? And it is deadly. Wow. That was deep, bro. Does that, not, <laughs> does, that, does that not work? I thought I was being like poetic. No, I mean it does. It's just like <laughs> like why I tried by shooting. Okay. I know. <laughs> it's, it's um. <sighs> I think no matter what event he chooses, it's going to be something traumatic. No, no. I can I can think of something innocent. Just let me. Can you? Let me find the five-year-old in me. Wait, Matt, trying to find something innocent? Good freaking luck. <laughs> <laughs> like how you guys just know me so well. Yeah, everyone, nice need, everyone needs a good bad friend on the bad <laughs> Um, Okay, inspiration's like a shooting star. You know, it's quick, it's unexpected, and it fades easily. That's better. I like that. I like that. That's, nice. right. That's a good one. That's there a good one. Go. I'm proud of you. Put that on a t-shirt. Yes. <laughs> Trademark it. Oh my Shark God. Tank. You poet, you. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, for me, like I guess like I said before, it does tend to strike up at random moments, but a lot of times it's when I'm like grappling with something or feeling uneasy about something. That's when inspiration hits, and I'm like, I have to write about this. Now, I guess the, it, it, and it doesn't happen as all that often. Like it's... Some months go by. Sometimes it could be over a year before inspiration hits I again. Like, it's that. weird. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's the last thing that really struck inspiration for me. It was, <clears throat> God, it was like about a year ago. I was writing a, a satirical play about, or satirical scene rather, about um, favoritism within the drama department at my school. Mm-hmm. And I kind of made a whole like skit about the audition process. And it was very controversial. And like I was asking people to perform it and nobody would. I don't know about you guys, but at least with me, with finding inspiration, it's one of those things where I need to not borrow too much from daily life because then I feel like you're airing out your dirty laundry. Feelings mm-hmm. can get hurt. Like, mm-hmm. do, you ha- do you feel like you have to grapple with that as well? Definitely sometimes. Um, I feel like whenever 
it's something personal that's inspiring me that's where i usually am inspired to write poetry Mm -hmm. um and i feel like the vagueness of poetry helps with that or like how vague you can make it whereas with the short story like someone in your life might find parallels and you're like well it's just a character um and you know depending on how well they know you or they know the situation like it may be more obvious but i feel like as i said um poetry is general generally where like in life inspiration goes Mm -hmm. and so i can keep it vague enough yeah i hope you can cut out the part where i was playing with my tongue by the way Uh, (laughs) because i didn't realize the mic was picking it up no we can yeah we can i can (laughs) oh god that's so gross i mean i can try (laughs) um yeah i can try i'll try but i i consult with you guys on the final cut anyway so i'll just keep that in mind take out tongue noises no no, i'm joking you can keep it in keep it um, <laughs> so like in of terms of like ASMR grappling experience. with like inspiration uh i don't know in terms of like poetry it's it's hard i feel like it's hard to write poetry when you go through the institution of school yeah I agree. because like then you learn poetry isn't actually as free as you thought it was back or i did as i thought it was back in like second grade like mm-hmm. For me, poetry could be anything, and now poetry was like a grade, and there's a structure, and it was just like, God damn it. I do not have the structure, building skills for this kind of poetry. That's a really good point, actually, because in English 220... (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Yay! Um, In English 220, um, we're actually going through a poetry unit right now, just to kind of... (laughs) you know, um, de-stress towards the end of the semester, if that's even possible. It's an attempt to de-stress. But we're actually, we're reading um, Walt Whitman right now. Um, But I think the thing I love about it is that it was so, it was, there was no other poetry like it before. It was totally free verse. Mm -hmm. And usually at the time, people would scoff at that and be like, no, what's with the Petrarchan sonnets? Or like, (laughs) what about, you know, having actual rhyme schemes and like stanzas? Like his just goes on and on. Her drapes, No, yeah. So I, I don't know. I guess it. That's a good point that you brought up, though. I guess it is hard with the institution at hand, and writing is so subjective. I don't get why. I mean, I get kind of why writing is graded, but mm. there's there should be a point where it's like it is really subjective. But. Yeah, there's like something weird about learning an art form in an educational space. Yeah, I agree with that because it's like you know how do you. You know, are you grading on the level of creativity? Are you grading on the structure, structure, grammaticalness, or you know, what? How much do you, as an instructor, how much does that like, does that bias weigh into your grading? Yeah. If you're like, this is technically a good piece, but I don't believe in the whatever is being portrayed, and it's like, so I feel like that one might be a little bit more clear cut, and you're like, okay, like I can grade just on the structure, but you'd have to trust your professor or whomever to be objective enough to do that. True, that's a good point. A lot of them aren't, a lot of them are just assholes. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's that's definitely, I'm not gonna say all, I'm I'm not gonna say that they're assholes, but they, a lot of times the grading is not objective at all. asshole tendencies. Yeah, that's a better way of putting it. <laughs> that's that's smart. Um, no, yeah, but I 
has that ever dissuaded you from pursuing what you wanted, like pursuing writing as a result of how teachers grade or how it's taught in an educational space? No, because I just can't not write things. Oh, okay. So it's always just been like, even if I'm irritated with a particular professor, I'm still, you know, writing is still something that I have always planned would be a part of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and just like, even when I haven't touched a story in months, like I still am thinking of stories, thinking of the ways to go about things. I, um, you know, like I have a vlog and I am telling stories in that form. Like storytelling is just something that I have to, or I feel that I have to do. Nice. Yeah, I have the uh, the same feeling. I would say in terms of like the persuasion, I guess it persuaded me in like a bad way because... In reality, you don't have to go to school to be a creative writer. You don't have to pay money for a master's program or for tuition to go to some institution to tell you this is this, this is that, this is how you're supposed to do it. This is, you know, this is what we're used to because, I don't know, it's cheesy, but like rules are there to be broken, especially if you do like an art form because then it makes it original. Mm -hmm. You know, there is a tradition that you should or could follow. Yeah. But there's also just, you know, like, just do you. So, like, I was, I guess I was just persuaded into the idea that thinking college was, like, the answer to uh, make my writing better. And it's funny because, like how you said, we're both, um, we're both seniors. And it's mm-hmm. not until my senior year where I really had that, like, okay, I got my answer that I needed, like, huh. to, like, make my writing better, make my writing good. So it takes, like, it took, like, four years when I feel like maybe i could have found my answer some other way in a sooner amount of time like if you'd found the right mentor or just picked up the right book with yeah. pictures of course yeah it's gotta have pictures <laughs> magic treehouse magic treehouse and goosebumps god they were the hardest things for me to read oh i loved magic treehouse <laughs> when i was a kid i loved it but you're a kid i was talking about in high school <laughs> <laughs> um oh yeah that reminds me so I don't know if you had to go to this or not, but there was, there's this writer named Colin McCann that teaches here. Yes. And he wrote like letters to a young writer. I don't know if you've read the book or like heard his speech or not, but. So I haven't read the book. I took um, the course Distinguished Living Writers. Okay. And so he was a part of it. So I read another of his novels and he seemed like a cool person, but I haven't read anything like he's written for writers. Okay. Funny enough. I have the copy of the book. I figured we should we should read some parts of it and see if they ring true. Ooh. That'd be nifty. Ugh. I just came up with this, so hold on. <laughs> Mama, let me Letters to a young writer. Yo, Matthew, you're so annoying. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so it says here. It says carry a notebook. <laughs> Do you carry a notebook? Okay, so I'm going to disagree on that point. <laughs> Since I'm visually impaired, I feel like yeah, this is very not... ableist. No! Yes. However, I, I have a laptop or like my braille note, which is like a braille computer. Yeah. Or just like notes on my phone. So I get what he means like in the abstract, but yeah. I'm highly offended yeah. at the notebook. Could have oh, yeah. used a different word, but like... <laughs> a writing utensil, you know, yeah. a writing just tool. Just something to like keep the ideas down. <laughs> yeah. Which 
which I mean, to be honest, we all have. Like, it's mm-hmm, just our mm-hmm. cell phone. We can do that with our cell phone. Or, like, whatever you choose to. Because I know some people who do carry around a notebook. Or, yeah. you know, yeah. a lot of people do just jot things down on it in their notes or make a voice note of it. Or, you know, there are just mm-hmm. so many different ways to go about it. That's true. So I, I get what he means in, like, the, the spirit. Yeah, <laughs> carry <laughs> And it, it does feel different, like, having the pencil in your hand as opposed to just the phone and the touchscreen. I kind of, I, I, I like the feeling, I know the feeling's not, like, of course, everyone's different, but for me, I don't know, I do, I do tend to remember things more or have the, a more concrete idea when I'm, ew, what the fuck? <laughs> Um, I wish you luck on editing this. <laughs> <laughs> no, this will be a treat. I mean. <laughs> no, yeah, I do agree overall with the whole carrying notebook. Co- I mean, it's different. Everyone has a different process. It's different for everybody. Mm-hmm. There's a Wait, what were we going to say? Sorry. Well, I was just going to say, I do. So, you know, a lot of people feel like it's different, like, you know, having a pen and paper or having a physical book. Yeah. And that's how I do feel with having, like, the words in Braille or typing them yeah. for myself rather than, you know, get using it on a computer on a computer you know i use um, a screen reader called voiceover okay and so it's the audio feedback it's like a computer reading my words as opposed to me reading it myself in braille okay so i do like um agree with like the the idea of having your work in like a tangible form in the form of you know a notebook or my braille note Yeah, yeah true um so then there's another point as well um, and I guess this is this is a lot more abstract. You said, don't write what you know, write towards what you want to know. So there are so many, I have read so many like different blogs mm-hmm. and books and stuff like by writers. And there are a lot of people who say, write what you know. And there are a lot of people who say, you know, if you only write what you know, then you're sort of boxing yourself in and you never like branch out. And so yeah. I definitely agree with that, like, right you know toward what you want to know because even if you write something and like someone has a criticism about it for whatever reason then it's something that you'll you know you'll learn and you can do better for next time or you know you'll just have that new information and you can apply it in a different way to something else that you write and then also as a fantasy writer like i i don't know my my creatures oh so okay i definitely agree with write toward what you want to know that's true Mm -hmm. yeah what are your thoughts matt um, do you write fantasy? Or I forgot to ask like, what, what genre people write. I, yeah. Okay. I, do. I mean, I don't know. It's it's weird because I was... I believe it's fantasy, but at the same time, it's like, you shouldn't focus on genre. Like, that shouldn't be the first thing. Genre's, That's true. Yeah. Genre is something that, like, you know, the publishers, the gatekeepers do. So if you... Yeah. Like... Because then otherwise you, like, just box yourself in. You'd be like, this is a horror story. I need to use horror story tropes. Oh, you true. Know what That's I mean? a good point. Yeah. Yeah, so... Just like, but with that said, I feel like it also, you know, so I do agree with you to an extent, and I feel like sometimes it's good to find those tropes and know what those tropes are so that you Mm -hmm. can either use them in a different way, not use them at all, or play into them if that's what you want. Mm -hmm. Um, But then also, like, afterward, knowing who you market it to, who you'll market it to, or slash how it will be marketed. So I feel like there is a place for it, but I do also get where you're coming from. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those things, um, I do think you are boxing yourself in if you just write what you know. Um, at the same time, though, I mean, huh. 
I think with statements like Colin McCann statements in general, just any kind of statements like that, they're like, don't write what you know, like write towards what you want to know. It's, it does sound kind of, it, so comments like that can sound kind of preachy and maybe dissuade some people from, from writing. Because yeah. you, know? you won't write your experience. I can agree with that. I yeah. like just write. <laughs> yeah, just write no, story. I don't really have a, yeah, I just write when d- inspiration strikes. Like, I don't really think. He, yeah. I don't. He, <laughs> just like put like one page, one sentence, <laughs> two words, just write. Just write. Boom. Sells his book just like that. Yeah, no, I, as he should. I mean, also, I feel, I can't help but feel that, you know, there's, there is a sense of anti-intellectualism in Western society right now. And I don't know, I feel like people are kind of. People don't really want to get into academic pursuits such as writing as much anymore. There's kind of a stigma now. Um, I feel like with comments with that, it just kind of further fuels that. But do you feel like that's present? What are your, what are your thoughts? Um, present how? Like, um, are we dissuaded from writing? Or have we struggled with the idea of picking writing because of other paths that could work out better is that what you mean oh no i just mean in terms of academic pursuits in general because i even though people a lot of people just think of writing as like oh it's just a fun fruity thing i do on my free time i can't Mm -hmm. help it i feel like it is kind of an academic pursuit um but i feel like now i can't help but feel that nowadays um at least in and no and here not as it's not nearly as apparent but i just think in in middle america in general or just kind of that general population or with that general mindset there is a rise in like anti-intellectualism and if people are in certain fields they they're like such as if they're writers if they're into something that's conventionally academic like they'll tune them out um but do you feel like that's prominent i do feel that's prominent yeah i I have um i have a friend who's a comp sci major and like he jokes around and stuff Mm because um when we meet someone new and then, like, they ask us what our majors are. It's, like, two different fields. You know, he goes comp sci and I go creative writing. Yeah. And he would chip in and jokingly say, useless. And I'm like, you son of a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I also want to go on, off of that because, so I feel like a lot of people have this misconception about art that it's so simple. Like, anyone can do it, right? No. And I feel like, to an extent, maybe that's true. Like, someone, I don't know, can, like, trace a design and say that they drew it originally or you know there's so many like hacks I guess that you can do but I feel like a lot of people can tell whether or not your heart was in it whether or not you know this was like genuinely uh, created genuinely and but I feel like a lot of people don't put stock in that because they feel like anyone can just like you know scribble a sentence or you know just like draw a straight line and call it art Mm -hmm. um so I do agree with that. I have a friend who I hadn't spoken to in a while, and he asked, like, how my novel was coming along. And I was like, uh, you know, like, it's still not done. I actually scrapped a lot of it and started rewriting it. And he's like, you're still not done. And That's I'm like, called a draft. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, you write me a novel. Yeah. And you let me know, one, how fast that, how, like, how long that takes you. And, yeah. two, you know, like, if you love every single piece of it. And so I definitely think that there's um, a lot of stigma surrounding it. Yeah. When I decided to switch to English as my major, um, 
with um, rather than like double majoring in psych and English. So that took a lot for me to ultimately decide on because so the people closest to me never commented on want me wanting to pursue English and pursue writing and becoming published and stuff. But a lot of like external people, sometimes teachers were the ones who would be like, you know, that's not a lucrative career. If you get a degree in English, then all you're going to like, you know, you can just become a teacher. And Mm -hmm. to that, I have to say, no matter what you're doing, you should know how to write like you know, um, regardless of what form of English you're working on, whether it's journalism or creative writing, mm-hmm. whichever you decide to major in, if you do something completely different um, for your future career, like you still have to know how to write. And um, I feel like though a lot of people have the idea, this image of the starving artist, and they're like, you know, it's not so clearly these pursuits aren't as important as something that's, you know, very clearly lucrative, like becoming a doctor or becoming, doing something with a noble cause rather than just writing. Hmm. Which is so weird how like writing becomes just writing because, you know, like not too long ago, I mean, I guess it was long ago, but like (laughs) the smartest people in the world were the writers, were the poets, were the... No, true. You know, the... um. The story I mean, the tellers. philosophers and everything like that. Yeah, people who can yeah. use words. They were the smartest people. And now it's the people who use numbers who are smart, who are seen as smarter in society. And it's like... It really irks me. Yeah, it, it is irking because, again, my friend with CompSight, there are things that he knows and he has like his own like idea, um, idol- ideologies. Yeah. <laughs> that uh, English major here. Ideologies. Um, <laughs> you know, it's a very like... It's a very, like, logical, straightforward way of looking at things. Yeah. Is that the smarter approach? Because, like, I'm not so sure about that. I feel like looking at things a different way, not uniform, could be. Yeah. Or that could be, like, important to an extent, but I feel like Mm -hmm. having the ability to think outside of the box, that's how people, regardless of if you're a scientist or a writer, like, make innovations in their field because they thought outside of the box or they thought of something that no one else thought about. And I feel like, you know, so some people are kind of, uh, like, looking down on that aspect now because, you know, anyone can do it. True. I mean, it's one... So they believe. (laughs) (laughs) It's one of those things that I I feel like everyone's intelligent, right? Like, I feel that, you know, whether it be in a, you know, conventional STEM way or in terms of arts and humanities, like, there's... I don't know. I feel like overall that's part of being intellectual. I don't don't know. But I guess... um, Huh. I was going to say something. No, no, you're fine. No. I mean, it was was important to bring all that stuff up, but... um, I guess I was going to ask, so when you decided, because I know you kind of briefly explained, Lily, like how, you know, your, um, how p- the people closest to you in a way responded or in a way didn't respond to you being an English major. But how did your parents respond, Matt? God, it's hard. So I never really heard them say, we'll support you in this. So I had to find my own support for myself. You know, I had to wow, okay. support myself. And it's possible, like people... You don't need someone else out there mm-hmm. to find that spark in you. You just got to find it yourself. Mm-hmm. But um, so how they react, if I can like remember their exact words. Um, dad was like, I'm going to try to do my dad voice. Oh, dear. I was like, do what makes you happy. 
but also you have to be realistic and i'm just like what the <laughs> what i've gotten that a lot realistically too. Yeah. this is what i want to do and it makes yeah. me happy oh wait i'm sorry to cut you off but i just thought about something that a lot of people whenever they think about a creative writing major or a musician or an artist um like a visual artist i feel like they always are like you know like i said before they think of the starving artist but i feel like people forget about the lucrative careers like you know someone will still need that writer to proofread something or they'll need like a content writer for a blog yeah um the artist might not make money with their own artwork per se but they'll be a book illustrator the musician you know could be like creating jingles or something rather than like selling their own music i feel like so people again this is another point of like looking outside of the box and so being told like you know be realistic it's still it's not unrealistic because there's so much that you can do with your art form yes mm -hmm. yes exactly that's true and that's i feel like my dad's saying that you're right it puts it put like my um my thing that i'm passionate about into a space that was supposedly like unrealistic and it really wasn't until like a couple years ago I was like, well, I'm just gonna fucking put them together. And just <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, it reminds me of because um, I'm in media production class right now. And we learned about Web 2.0. This is kind of like the age of user generated content. So, and it's one of those things like there's so many ways that you can put your work out there to make mm -hmm. it accessible to the general public um, in ways that were just not even imaginable even 40 years ago you know you always had to go through a publisher but now you can always self-publish your own stuff put up blogs like do what you need to do mm. um i forgot i actually remembered what i was going to say earlier um because you were saying before that writing is not seen as like a noble pursuit but it's one of those things like writing in a way does bring you know it plays such a huge role in bringing about like social and political change um and I guess the best example I can come up with right now, even though there's plenty of examples, is like Harper Lee's To Kill a Mockingbird, which brought like a lot of, um, you know, the ra the issues in terms of race that were going on in the South to the forefront. So in a way, like writing can induce a lot of change as well. And people forget that, which kind of sucks. I feel like <laughs> yeah. it's the arts in general. It's just such a weird thing because people, you know, like someone will want to cut funding from a school and then there'll be an uproar and then people like while there's an uproar and people are like, no, we have to continue funding the arts. There are still just as many people saying like the arts are useless, but these may be the exact same people who like, you know, want to buy specifically like someone's old record because they were such like a musical icon yeah. or they want to make sure to have a Da Vinci in their house or make sure that they have like... Um, you mentioned Harper Lee, so like a signed To Kill a Mockingbird copy, you know, yeah. but they'll put down the people who want to sort of uh, continue that legacy. Yeah, so it's really it interesting. Alive. No. Yeah. No, um, it's, I mean, it's, I, I kind of wonder where the stigma initially came from, like why the switch? I'm not, I'm really not trying to toot my own horn here or anything. It's just an example. I'm, I'm part of Macaulay. And like the thing is, everyone there is either comp sci or pre-med bio and there's the whole like um c's get degrees kind of mentality of yeah. like you know if you take a difficult class such as bio or or chem or whatever or whatever or whatever's deemed difficult to that particular anyway yeah and those um, people yeah <laughs> i always hear them say they want to kill themselves and i'm just like well why are you doing this then and they're just like because yeah. it's gonna make me money and i'm like 
Yeah, no. I that, mean, that with that it. said, even when I was pursuing psychology, yeah. which I, you know, still may do, um, I was torn between I either wanted to be a social worker or uh, a therapist because my goal was to have like my own private practice. Oh, lovely. Okay. And a lot of people were like, you know, social workers don't make a lot of money. Oh so no matter. God what field i was in whether it was like psychology which you know i've been reminded by like you know actual like pre-med people are like you know it's a soft science um but whether it's psychology or english like it's either you know you're only going to be a teacher teachers don't make a lot of money or a social worker like really you don't want to pursue like this or that because it's not going to make a lot of money and so at this point i feel like honestly if any of us became like a bestseller for whatever reason then everyone you know their response would be so different because it's it's you know it's a clear indicator that we're doing well in our field but no one wants to take the risk to get to that point so you should always just shoot for whatever's going to get you money and you know like it's a clear-cut path to that yeah and uh, like you gotta take risks in life no it's so life is boring if you don't Mm -hmm. like you can live it safe but then like are you really living it yeah no exactly (laughs) it's funny that that reminds me of jk rowling i heard she went to 19 different publishers before scholastic picked up harry potter Mm. and now look at harry potter like She yeah. also tried to kill herself and she dropped out of college. Really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't even know that. Oof. That's okay. insane. Damn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, it's funny because like she took she took that risk, the risk pay off. And now, you know, many there are de- so many like writers who have yeah. that story who are like, you know, no one wanted to like pick up my book, but yeah. I kept trying. And then they found that one person and, you know, now they're a bestseller. Yeah. Not now true. they can just like come to those those fancy dinner parties with the people who rejected them and be like yeah (laughs) (laughs) i feel like people so we think about the jk rowlings but i also think about like i can't think of an author immediately right now but there are some who are like self-published who you know may not be as a household name like rowling is but they still can make a living off of their writing Mm -hmm. because they have like enough people interested and I feel like, you know, a lot of people don't put stock in that either because it has to be like a flashy representation of your success. Like there has to be a flashy representation of your success. Like whether your, you know, um, your book's been like republished into multiple languages or you're on the NY Times bestseller list yeah. or something like that. It's just part of the whole Western obsession with status and mm-hmm. consumerism. Mm-hmm. It's do I have all this money to like do whatever the hell I want? Mm-hmm. That, mm-hmm. that determines like success apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, But I guess um, on a slightly different note, because I want to kind of know more about like your writing, like what, I don't know, just kind of the process in general for you guys, because I'm curious and, you know, I want to, you know, get, I guess maybe after the episode, I can read some of your work if you're interested. Why stick out your tongue just now? (laughs) I'm sorry. No, you're fine. No, you're, I'm, I'm, I'm I'm (laughs) I'm busting your chops. Sorry. I'm busting your chops. Um, So I guess... (laughs) You've I've never heard, heard that, of that? I've heard of it. I just haven't heard of it in like a while. I mean, like, <laughs> you always say things that it's just like, wow. Yeah. You're probably the only person who still says that. Don't yeah, worry. I'm like a I grandma. get like judged by saying nifty and calling people cool cats. So you're oh, cool. come on. That's, that's cool. <laughs> and you get judged I'm, by I don't me. judge. Like, that's, I, like, I'm just a judgmental person. I guess. Yeah. So, I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> speak how you want to speak. Keep language free. Thanks, bro. Um, I guess the. Huh. So what, what has been like your proudest moment in terms of your writing? Is there a particular piece that you're most proud of? What, and what makes that piece different from all the other pieces that you've written? Huh. 
I guess it would be the one that I'm still working on today, even though it's so difficult. It's like, it's like a kid you're trying to raise, but it like fights back. And it's like, <laughs> look, <laughs> sit down, child. <laughs> Wait, so what, what project are you working on right now? I'm working on like a 300 page. Um, Ooh, okay. Yeah, 300 page. I, yeah, I tried to look for like the genre and the closest I could find was like a commercial fiction. So it's commercial okay. fiction work, 300 pages. And, into um, urban fantasy too. Okay, mm. so yeah, also fantasy. You're right because there's there's dragons and stuff. Oh, okay. Awesome. Yeah, um, I could <laughs> give a summary about it, but I want to hear uh, uh, Lily talk about hers. Yeah, so do, <laughs> I, I'm no, so do I. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's the work that um, you're most proud of? I would also say the work that I'm working on. Okay. Um. So bonds of time. Yeah. So it's also a novel in progress that does fall firmly into like urban fantasy, which is my preferred genre to write and read because it's way too much work to create my own world. So I like having the basis of like a a city to work in. So like it takes place in New York. Um, And so I feel like there are so many points that like I've had things like published in um, my high school's literary magazine or like things I've done like with my um, music school for like shows. And once they started incorporating poetry and stuff like that. And while all that's really cool, I feel like once I finish with this, like it's definitely just going to be... um, it's, it's definitely something that I'm really proud of. And it's because I, so a while ago in my stories, I decided that I was always going to try to have a visually impaired character, regardless of what their level of vision is from like great. fully blind to, you know, um, just being legally blind. So that yeah. can include, you know, they might wear glasses or like they might have, uh, I forget what the number is that uh, makes you, le- I think it's 20 over 200 for someone who's legally blind and under Mm -hmm. and so perhaps their vision is great in that regard but like maybe they have no peripheral vision like I just always want to like touch on some sort of visual issue and I feel like I'm excited for this because so you know even though it's hard I thought it would be easy to write a character who saw similarly to how I did um I then had to actually really think about and assess how I see the world like would I see this happening would I not and um so I'm really excited for like the finished product just to show you know the place for visually impaired characters in fantasy like I've encountered in other books like a character who like could only see out of one eye but from that eye like their vision was perfect they only ever lost the other eye in like this crazy horrific accident or and I'm like but you know it doesn't have to be the case um Someone asked me at one point, you know, like, why didn't magic just fix my character's vision? And my first response is, well, because there'd be no story. But also because, you know, like, it's not a cure-all, like, magic. It's there to enhance aspects of life, but it doesn't fix everything. Again, otherwise there'd be no story. And so, you know, like I said, I'm excited to just have something that's like you know yes there's a visually impaired character and while there are things that she might not be able to do there's other things that is compensated for because of the power like the skill set that she does have yeah and having being visually impaired you know and no point in the story is she just like wow i really wish there were some surgery or some magical spell because it's like it is what it is like maybe there are things that could be more convenient or would be more convenient if um i had 2020 vision but that's not what the case is so i'm gonna work with what i have and so i'm excited because i feel like there are other stories um especially with like the we need diverse um books movement that started yeah um 
like there are more stories of characters with you know either like who are um culturally diverse or who are um disabled diverse disabledly disabledly able thank you oh my god <laughs> i'm a bad visually impaired person no you're fine you're How fine dare you <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> you're fine, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, and I feel like, but still, like vision is something that's not really touched on because no one, no one knows what to do with that. True. Um, so yeah, I'm excited about this project. Most. That's cool. Mm. Yeah, but I, I was gonna say in that term- was a lot of words. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, it's fine. Honestly, I, I kind of. I love when people talk throughout the podcast because it's not like I'm pulling teeth because people are just like pouring out. I'm like, bless, like, thank you. Yeah. I actually appreciate it a lot. But um, I was going to say in terms of um, the we need more diverse characters movement, do you feel like that played a role in both of you get like getting into writing as a whole? Do you feel like there was representation there? Yes and no. Yes and no. Okay. Uh, yes growing and up, no. <laughs> growing up, a lot of the characters I read were white, heterosexual characters, mm-hmm. whether they were male or female. And I, while that was like fine for the most part, like there are a lot of people who are like, they're very upset not seeing themselves represented or whatever, whether it was like in terms of sexuality or um like culture i was generally okay with it because i feel like i there would be the occasional book with like um like a black character or there'd be you know like tv shows like that's a raven who also had like the mystical aspects of things too so i got that but i feel like there was a point um in junior high or high school when i started googling specifically like books with non-white heroines like i didn't care if they were asian black whatever i just wanted non-white heroines um, because I wanted to see, like, I there's a lot that I, you know, grew up reading about, like, Greek mythology, Norse mythology, and all that stuff like that. And while I del- did delve into the other mythologies, I never, or I rarely ever saw it reflected in other books. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like, in terms of my own writing, it didn't affect it too much, because I just kind of wrote whatever, whether it was a white character, whether it was a black character, just, like, however I felt like the story needed it. But I feel like once I learned about the diverse book movement, I actively, I was like, okay, there are enough white characters. Like, I, rather than writing my own, or, you know, like, having them be the main protagonist, like, I wanted to start delving into other cultural things. So I I do, will say that it has influenced me to an extent in terms of like, you know, making sure that my characters are um, visually impaired and things like that. And like going off of my own experience and bringing new experiences to like the fantasy world. But on the same token, I think I, I came to it alongside the diverse book movement. So I came to it on my own. And then it was just further supplemented by seeing that there was actually like a, a movement for these types of books. That's so cool. I didn't even know there was a movement. <laughs> yeah. I had like a vague Shows idea. how but... much I'm into the community. <laughs> so I, I, I like, I compartmentalize, I guess. You know, there's just, there's so much to the world that isn't depicted in literature. So much to people yeah. that isn't depicted in literature and it's... Or popular literature. Yeah, mm. popular literature. And yeah, it's, the canon is... And it's, yeah, it's because <laughs> there's like this canon or this mainstream of... Uh, yeah. Of like male white heterosexual characters or plots or stories and yeah it's, it's um it's sad it <laughs> like is, yeah. if you really strip everything away from a story from from any story that you've read that has mm-hmm. been um popularized in the mainstream if you strip away a lot then essentially the stories are two things beowulf or cinderella 
Mm-hmm. And it's hmm. those Cinderella. two stories. Hmm. Cinderella gets retold the most in terms of like structure and oh yeah, what happens. I can see that. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Beowulf, I'll give you with like all the epic fantasies like Game yeah. of Thrones and things. Yeah. yeah. Which when you think about Game of Thrones, while I do like the books, there's nothing particularly amazing about it. Hmm. Like it's a good story. But it's just the retelling of, like, it's it's another form of medieval Europe happening. While certain things may be specific to it, like, you know, specifically, like, um, Danish dragons or, like, the White Walkers, you can find other forms of it in other epic fantasy novels, mm-hmm. like, that are set around the same time or who's, like, had similar influences. Whereas you can't necessarily say the same for, like... Um, What's that book called? Uh, Children of Blood and Bone by Tony, Tony Adeniemi. Mm-hmm. Um, so people were really excited for it because it was an epic fantasy set in um, like alternate Western Africa. Ooh, okay. Nice. And when I read it, on the one hand, so she sort of just tosses you into the world and you like learn things as you go along. And while I enjoyed it, there were parts that I was confused about because she sort of said things that depending on the character you should know and then it gets explained later and then i was thinking about like with a game of thrones when something is said i just kind of expect like to know what's happening but that's because of just like how much european literature is shown to us whereas Mm -hmm. you know in the story of like you know alternate nigeria like she would just talk about a specific like um piece of clothing and i was just like i have no idea what this is Mm -hmm. and it didn't take away from the story but it was just really you know interesting to note um I feel like there was a point that I was making, but I forgot. So. Do you do that so many times? You do it often. No, I mean, Sorry. yeah. <laughs> it is a really good point. I, I mean, have the I, attention span of a banana. No, I, I feel that. <laughs> I feel that so much. Um, but that kind of reminded me of like the canon that we're taught, and you know, throughout middle school, high school, even college. Like right now, mm-hmm. for my English two twenty course, um, well, we read um, we read uh, Hamlet. Just, you know, we read Hamlet, oh, Frankenstein, uh, and then we're reading um, poetry by uh, William Woodsworth and Walt Whitman. But it's all like old. I mean, I can't, I can't say heterosexual because Walt Whitman is definitely gay. But <laughs> yeah, it's all he's gay and homeless. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's just written by you know old white men. One of my wishes was just to have at least like a person of color that was a main character in any of these like at least othello like please at least like teach us othello or something but it's just i feel like the canon further perpetuates the cycle of only writing from like the white male perspective Mm -hmm. you know if you really want to get creative you could like Mm -hmm. toss in the white female yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) not true um, a talking dog or something. Like, yeah. Not even going to like a person of another color. Yeah, a talking yeah, dog. Yeah, <laughs> yeah um, no, it's it's nuts. Um, but I feel like with plays, it's it's, it's getting better, but it's still kind of just as bad with with writing plays. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I just noticed because. I used to act and, and whatnot. I'm not as into it anymore, but I used to be into it a lot in high school. Mm-hmm. And um, I noticed that a lot of times the male characters were, they had ambition, they had like other things going on in their lives. You know, they had, yeah. And those were the monologues that I tended to gravitate towards. But I, 
you know, I can never perform them because I wasn't because I wasn't a man, so I just couldn't perform mm-hmm. the monologues. But with really you know, what's yeah, really about that? that makes me think of Hamilton actually, and huh, I yeah. don't know if you know about the like there's like this mini scandal when the casting call called specifically for non-white people for the casting roles, and yeah. there was an uproar. Whereas whenever you're casting, like you're looking for a specific like type to fit that role. Yeah, and so because it was specifically non-white people, like it was a problem. But it was like, what about the roles that, you know, like a black person couldn't play, wouldn't play? Like I think about in all of the people who are still to this day, like the first Asian this or the first Asian that or black or whatever for yeah. like plays that have been out for, you know, decades or more. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, so your point about like the the character types in plays or like with Hamilton, um, who they chose to cast for is just so interesting because I feel like while there is a push for it, it's still like a push for more diversity. It's still like, there are still a lot of people who either don't actually want that diversity or who don't know how to handle once it starts happening. Yeah. Because I feel like even um, regardless of if you're a minority majority or whatever, like you kind of don't know what to do with it at this once, you know, think like the dynamics start shifting. Yeah. No, for sure. Um, but I, even like, even outside of that, even in terms of gender, it's still like a big thing. I like agree. with, um, like, you know, like the male monologues, a lot of times they talk about like ambition and, you know, wanting something more in life. And those are the ones I relate to the most. Cause mm-hmm. that's, cause that's, you know, I, I, it's like we, you know, women of course have ambitions and dreams and they have lives outside of we men. Do? Like, <laughs> whereas like with the, a lot of the female characters that are written in plays, it's, they're always there to aid the man or they're yearning for a man. And it, mm-hmm. those never, I never related to those ever. So I'm like, let me just write my own stuff because mm-hmm. I can't perform any of this. Like, right. <laughs> right. I mean, I could, I just wouldn't relate to it. Mm-hmm. Um, do you notice that as well, though, in terms of the gender dynamics in, in a lot of modern literature? Like, not even yeah. modern, just literature in general in terms of, yeah, male, um, female Definitely dynamic. there's those dynamics. I mean, um, so, Lily, Devourer of Tea and I. Yeah. <laughs> we, uh, <laughs> we, we exchange writings and we read each other's writings just to, like, you know, help out and, like, Oh, I love stuff that. Like that. That's beautiful. Okay. No, we haven't done that in a while because, you know, we've just been, like... <laughs> we're terrible busy. We're terrible people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so from her story and my story, like we are both writing female characters, female okay, characters. Okay, nice. Um, in uh, your story, I believe it's like the males are the support characters. That's so cool. Which is actually right. something I realized because I was raised like by my mom with my sisters, and like oh, okay. my dad was kind of there. But I realized that in a lot of my stories, like I forget about the male characters, and I'll just toss them in, like, "Oh, we need a best friend" or something. Yeah. Which is, I feel like, what often happens with female characters. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So without even realizing it, um, actually, part of the reason why I stopped writing uh, right now is because I have two new male characters that I have to introduce, mm-hmm. and I realized that I did not. Not flesh out their characters at all so now i have to sort of go figure them out because i was just going to toss them in there and i'm like oh well i guess they need to have more personality than to just be accessories to the women hmm. huh and like that's similar with me like the the males are like the support characters <laughs> and like i just they're just there to make the other character look good or to like <laughs> uh like for example there's like a uh like a like a stepdad who um you know comes because the real dad dies or whatever like that's the first thing i do i kill off the first main characters <laughs> yeah <laughs> the first uh male character i mean so it's like i don't know huh. do you feel like familial experiences in any way influenced 
like how you go about writing in terms of the characters that are out there for you in mm. terms of putting females in the main character or, or does that is that what just you, a coincidence what do you mean by experiences like like familial so for example like um like what with what lily was saying she was saying that she you know her, her mom was always around her sisters were always around and therefore she when she would write she'd write female characters that was yeah and so i was wondering if you had oh. similar experiences with that or not I guess, like I <laughs> okay. Like usually, if you, if it you was do, after school, it was if like you my don't, aunts would pick me up and stuff like that. Oh, but, um, <laughs> I don't if know. you don't, it's, it's fine. You don't have to fish for stuff if if you don't. I mean, I yeah. could like I'm sure there is. It's just nothing's coming to mind. Fair. Okay. I mean, like I, I was like, fascinated yeah. by the fact that you were writing a female character. I noticed that <laughs> everyone was in that workshop. I was like, <laughs> "What do you guys mean?" <laughs> With like the stories I've read, like not all of them, but a lot of the stories I've read, like fantasy stories with female characters written by um, like male writers. Yeah. Like they're usually like the fiery redhead, um, and so you know, like they're just gonna be completely just gonna. They're like a man with boobs and red long red hair okay or i (laughs) feel like you know they just kind of like they overdo it on the the emotional female aspect and i feel like there's not much of a balance so i was like fascinated you know that you chose to write a story from a female perspective like i'm always curious as to like what makes for in both cases like uh female writers write from the opposite um, gender's perspective and like male writers yeah i mean it's interesting because for me when i would write scenes and stuff i always it was strange i always wrote from the male perspective which kind of scared me after a while and i'm like (laughs) i need to like shift asap (laughs) i'm not perpetuating like crusty literary culture i'm not gonna we're not we're not here for that today so that in a way like because i realized looking back i'm like wow all my characters were you know all the main characters were male and all the supporting ones were female and it really in a way i was i was shocked by how much the culture influenced me Mm -hmm. because whenever i read books or most of the time when i read books it's all it's it's always written from the male perspective Mm -hmm. all the time which is and it's so weird that there is like like a male and female perspective i feel at least yeah because i feel like like there's just like one pers- perspective and that's just the yeah there's depiction of the world mm-hmm. that's true and how they experience it like it's a person <laughs> we all go yeah. through the same shit <laughs> and then i also forget about the gender non-binary perspective which i guess is as um like which in, in terms of literature i guess because it's such a it's such a new concept or a new it's almost non-existent which is unfortunate mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. it'd be cool to like here get like a gender non-binary character as like a main character in a novel or something yeah, i feel like that would be, be interesting freaking cool mm-hmm. but like, oh I you do like a character that's like yeah oh okay that's awesome nice yeah. can you spill some deets on that or are you waiting until no, you release a, it to the general it's public a secret the secret Ooh, okay you all can right ask, you can ask Lily. i'm like very like secretive with my with my stuff my yeah she should I yeah i want to slap him for that but yeah. you know i mean it cool. makes sense she's upset because she knows the title but she doesn't know that she knows okay the so title this is what he keeps telling me and okay i so this is the thing i totally get like you know wanting to keep some details like you know secret and yada yada like also yeah. having um especially like as a beta reader like getting their um fresh reaction but the title he claims i know it i don't know it and now you i want it. to know it do you know the title you won't even say the title no we don't even know the plot you won't say the title no okay i can give you the plot if you want the plot 
but like it's 157 pages. Is it because so far. Like, is it because it's such an amazing title that you don't want other people to take it? No, no he's just being it's, a jerk. <laughs> that that and I have like this weird idea where like once my work is out there, I don't want like my uh, my face or my gender or whatever to like be associated with that work. You know, like people, oh, interesting. People buy, people buy van gogh's paintings because it was by van gogh not because it was just a good painting nowadays and wow. i don't want that to happen to my work i want them to buy my work just because it like was a jk good. rowling like since she chose that name to be more like gender, yeah so so specific. i have yeah i have like a uh was a pseudo pseudonym yeah that, pseudonym that's right yeah, i've got a pseudonym down and <laughs> i feel like when I finish and say I want to take it to like a publishing house and get published, mm-hmm. I'm going to wear a mask and I'm going to freak the fuck out of them <laughs> just because. And like, so it's going to be fun for me. Yeah, it's going to be fun for me. Yeah. That's really know. cool, actually. I, I love that. I've never, I've never heard that from anybody before, funny enough. I don't know, because I feel like people, when they put their work out there, they want to be associated with it. They want compliments and all the love and like, oh, right. I released this thing and it's such, it's so amazing. And, there you was know. something I read on Twitter about like artists where like, oh my gosh, like um, I just finished this project. Look at me, look at me. Wait, why are you looking at me? Why are you looking at me? Yeah. Stop looking at me. <laughs> That's so accurate. <laughs> I guess to wrap things up what would you say to any um anyone that's interested in pursuing writing but maybe is too scared to do it like what i know it's easy to say just do it because i feel like you would say just do it but other than just do it um what other i am a fan of (laughs) what advice would you give to those people that helped that you feel like are important to know along the way it takes a long and dreadful amount of time yeah don't be discouraged by the length of time don't be discouraged yeah and i feel like you know perhaps everyone needs to know how they so some people get things done by writing and then showing it to people belatedly Mm -hmm. and other people like do need the support along the way and i feel like either one is perfectly fine whether people are constantly asking you to like show proof of whatever you're working on like don't feel obligated to yeah but i also feel like read or consume whatever media you're kind of emulating in your writing right um like there are some authors i um have read who were gamers and so that either comes across in um the characters that they write they're also Mm -hmm. gamers or like they sort of write it with like however whatever their favorite video game format was Mm -hmm. and so i just feel like you know consume whatever form of media inspired you to want to tell your own story in the form of writing but then also branch out nice Mm -hmm. yeah that's true that's true and there's no wrong or right way of doing it yeah no matter how many people tell you there is like there's there's uh there's tradition sure but like there's also you don't lose you just for tradition and then like think about whoever well your favorite writers are like they for you know especially if it's someone from the 20th century or before like they were groundbreaking for some reason like that's how most likely they became popular mm-hmm. and so you know just because like it may seem frightening just like think about them like they they did it and it worked out yeah. True. You have to make yourself vulnerable for stuff like this. Yes. That's a all of that is so I feel like there's no other advice to give because <laughs> all of it was so well said. Um Matt, Lily, thank you so much for coming on the show. I had, the, for having I had this was so much fun. I agree. A great time. And the tea was good. Hey, glad you liked it. <laughs>
Oh my god, um, you're so annoying. It sounds like you're making out with someone. It doesn't even sound like you're <laughs> sipping tea anymore. I'm not sipping tea. I'm making, you gotta make love to the microphone. Some singer said that someday somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so this is Tea for Three, where we sip the tea and spill the deets. Thanks for listening. Bye, y'all. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Bye. <laughs>